Thank you guys for bringing us into God's presence this morning. And thank you guys for being here today. How's everybody doing today? Doing all right? I'm appreciative that you brought the sun with you this morning when you got here. That's a a nice addition. Well, uh, good morning. Like Carmen said, my name is Jason Fickus, and I serve as the director of small group ministries here at Daybreak. And today's actually the beginning of a three-week period uh, where you can get connected to any of our small group opportunities for this next season. And so I'm excited this morning to be able to talk uh, with you guys a little bit about uh, the importance of finding deep, life-changing relationships with other members of God's family uh, like you can find in a small group. Well, uh, let me transition into the message today by saying this, uh, making this statement. Uh, I believe that today we live in a culture where we know more people than ever. I think the the marvels of modern technology have given us the opportunity uh, to connect with people halfway across the world uh, for little to no cost. And so we're more connected than we've ever been before. Uh, We connect on Skype, we connect on FaceTime, we connect on gchat and google plus and pinterest we connect through texting each other we connect through phone calls you guys remember the lost art of the phone call yeah some of us still connect that way (laughs) and we also connect through facebook you know we're more connected today than we've ever been before as a society you know connecting with another person is literally as easy as a few clicks or a, a tap on a slide right but even though it would seem as if we're more connected today than we've ever been I propose that we are actually less connected today than ever. Let's use Facebook as an example. I've got a picture here, bring it up, of my my Facebook page. You can see my son at the top there, happy at the beach, like most of us are. Right now he is unhappy at home, sick, not as fun. A picture of my wife and I with, with Carrie Job. I talked a little bit about that the last time that I spoke. But somewhere in the middle of the screen there, you can see that I have 523 friends on Facebook. Decent, right? You know, based on that number, it would certainly seem like I've got a lot of great relationships. But if someone would ask me how many uh, of those friends that I have actually sat down with and had a a face-to-face in real time at the same place, at the same time connection with over the past few months, I could probably count that number on one hand. You know, even though I may be more connected to people than I've ever been before, that doesn't guarantee that I have quality relationships with them. If you draw this out on a societal level, uh, even though we're more connected than we've ever been before, I propose that our relationships may be more shallow today than they've ever been before. We have hundreds of of contacts, right? Hundreds of of Facebook friends, uh, but very few life-on-life relationships. Though we're more connected than ever, I believe that we may be more isolated than we've ever been as a society. And isolation is one of the sharpest tools that Satan can use to defeat us. You know, when we're isolated, our perspectives get skewed, and we can easily head down roads that are not healthy for us. You know, when I was in college, uh, for a year or two of my four years in college, uh, I went through a season of my life where I was very isolated. Uh, Besides my wife, I really had no other meaningful or significant relationships, and I actually avoided relationship. And it wasn't good for me. Uh, I became very self-focused. I began to believe lies about myself. Uh, I struggled with secret sin. I I struggled in my relationship with God, and and I lacked any true sense of, of purpose or joy in my life. And I think the sad truth is that too many of us walk around all the time that way, stuck in isolation. 
But that's not how God designed for us to live. He designed for us to live in in true koinonia, true communion, a true intimate relationship with other people. And there's no way that we can experience uh, the depth and the richness of a few significant relationships if we're spreading ourselves relationally thin, if we're living a Facebook existence in our relationships, having just a little bit of relationship with a lot of people. Instead, we've got to choose to steward our relational time and energy well, intentionally choosing and investing into a few deeper relationships, even if that means that we need to lessen the overall number of relationships that we try to maintain. Proverbs 18, 24 says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, because of how we've been trained by our culture, I think we have a tendency to treat people like we treat products. We think that the more relationships, the more companions, the more friends that we have, the better, right? But God's word says that that might not necessarily be the best plan. While it seems like more should be better, God says that choosing that path can be ruinous. Instead, he says we need to find a deep relationship. He says pursue a relationship that could end up uh, being even tighter than the relationship that you have with your own brother. God's measure of, of being in a healthy place relationally is not how many friends do you have, but instead it's who has become like family. That is God's standard when it comes to the, the kind of community that he's trying to forge in our world. Each of us needs at least one, maybe a few, deep relationships, a few life-changing connections uh, with members of God's family uh, who are pursuing or who are already where we are hoping to go. And our vision statement here at Daybreak supports that, helping people discover a life-changing journey with Jesus by, what's, what's the second C? By connecting with God's family. So connecting with God's family is supposed to help us further our life-changing journey with Jesus. But what does that look like? Uh, What does a deep, life-changing connection with God's family that helps us grow on our journey with Jesus look like? That's what we're going to be taking a look at today. And that brings us to our first point. Deep, life-changing connections with God's family are characterized by, number one, mutual authenticity. Mutual authenticity. That helpful thesaurus in Microsoft Word and an online dictionary uh, gave me the following synonyms for authenticity. Maybe you want to write some of these down. Uh, Genuine, faithful, real, sincere, and honest. That's what authenticity looks like. And these are all admirable qualities to shoot for, but sometimes they're difficult qualities to attain, to live out. It's much easier for us to live our life, uh, our life and, and live our relationships uh, on the surface because surface-level connections with other people don't need to contain those hard-to-live-out qualities. But if we're truly looking for relationships uh, that are going to change us, that are going to challenge us and help us grow, uh, it's those qualities that we must strive for. Have you ever been in a a social setting where it's blatantly obvious that people are exhibiting uh, qualities that are the polar opposite of those ones that we just mentioned? I mean, maybe even you yourself have found yourself in a situation uh, where you know that you're exhibiting more fakeness than you are genuineness. 
Thinking about that reminds me uh, a little bit about uh, a sketch that uh, a comedian, Brian Regan, does, where he talks about being at a dinner party, and all of a sudden the conversation shifts to art, and he says that he loves art, and in reality he knows nothing about art. So this YouTube video is his poor attempt at trying to convince everyone else in the room that he knows a little bit of something about art. Check this out with me. I said, oh, I love art. (laughs) Well, what museums have you been to? I have to go home now. I could not think of a single museum name. And I had just released I Love Art like a flock of doves. I don't know what to do. I'm standing there. And then I remembered I had read about a museum in France or something. So I figured I'm lying anyway. I might as well lie to get out of that first lie. There's nothing smarter than that technique. I was like, well, I was in Paris. At the La Uber. <laughs> Do you like Monet? I love Monet. In fact, I spent a lot of Monet when I was in Paris. <laughs> well, what's your favorite saison? Winter. <laughs> Francis Bacon. I prefer Jimmy Dean pure pork sausage. Uh, And that's just a goofy example of how sometimes we lack authenticity. Uh, But what we have to ask ourselves is is how often uh, we in relationships that do actually hold merit, not when we're just at a random dinner party, but in, in relationships with people that are close to us, How often do we choose to stay surface level or maybe choose to lack honesty with each other? I think we stay surfacey to to try to save face, to try to look good in front of other people. Uh, But we all need relationships that that dive deeper uh, than weather and sports and talking about fiscal cliffs or dairy cliffs. There's lots of cliffs these days. Anyone else notice that too? But God didn't design us to keep everything important bottled up inside of us. And he also didn't design us to make all of our important decisions in a vacuum either. You know, how many of you have have seen people that you care about getting ready to make a really dumb decision and for whatever reason they're just blind to how dumb this decision really is? You know, I'm, I'm sure we've all found ourselves in that spot. And and if you turn that around, surely if we've seen people that we care about in that place, there's We've probably been on the opposite end of that as well. We've been the person ready to make a dumb decision. And there's been people that care about us, looking on at us and wondering, what in the world is he or she thinking? But what happens? You know, rather than having uh, significant conversations with someone else uh, and conceding that another person may actually have a more accurate perspective on the decisions that we need to make than we do, uh, we end up having to deal with the consequences of our poor decision. 
Why is it? That's not because there aren't people in our life that, that, that care about us. It's because there wasn't anyone in our life who we had given permission to be real with us, to be authentic with us, and to speak the truth to us, even if we knew, if they knew it was going to be something that we, we didn't necessarily want to hear. Proverbs 15.22 speaks to this a little bit. It says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. You know, things go wrong when we try to make decisions all on our own. When we don't acknowledge that someone else may have a, a more accurate perspective on our decision than ourselves. But when we choose the right people to gather feedback from, we increase our probability of making a wise decision exponentially. And so in life, all of us need someone who we've given permission to be honest with us. We need someone who can see the blind spots in our life that we can't see, who can see when our actions or when our decisions may cause us to become out of alignment in our desire to grow in our relationship with Jesus. I love Proverbs twenty four twenty six. It says this, it says, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. You know, why does scripture say that? How, how is an honest answer like a kiss on the lips? I think it's because honesty is a form of honor. There's no better way to honor someone than to be honest with them and to speak the truth to them in love. For example, it's like if you're out with a friend and your fly is down or you've got like a giant piece of parsley like stuck right on your front tooth. You know, if your friend is willing to give you the heads up on that and to save you from the embarrassment that those things cause, like you want to give them a great big bear hug, right? (laughs) Why? It's because they honored you. They cared enough about you to have that awkward conversation with you in order to look out for you. And of course, this translates deeper than, than parsley stuck on our teeth. You know, just recently, I had two friends uh, sit me down and and talk to me about something that I was kind of blind to. They talked to me about the appearance uh, of certain actions that I was taking, and while they trusted my intentions and while they they trusted my heart, they cared enough about me to help me see that my actions uh, to someone who didn't know me uh, might appear as if they're lacking integrity. And I know that's kind of vague, but the point that I'm making is this. When you've given someone permission to speak freely into your life, it can keep you on a healthy road. It can prevent you from doing something stupid or embarrassing that could affect the quality of your relationship with Jesus. Because when we get mired in sin, it messes up our relationship with God. One way I like to look at this concept uh, of who you've given permission to speak uh, freely to you or or who you've given free reign in your life uh, is through the lens of refrigerator rights. And I want to read a portion from a blog by a pastor named Tyler Braun from New Harvest Church in Portland, Oregon. And he he talks about this concept called Refrigerator Rights uh, that that he took from a book called Refrigerator Rights by Will Miller. See if you can relate to Tyler. I know as I was reading this, uh, I could. He says, We've all heard the importance of living by the mantra, people over projects. People and relationships are the marrow of life that give all our that all of our lives should be working toward building, growing, and connecting to. But I would imagine that many of you are like me, though, and that you are task-driven and get fulfillment about being able to mark things off your checklist. And so you struggle with the idea of people over projects because people don't work like a checklist. If we know deep down that creating a life of significance comes from impacting the lives of people through relationships, how can we shift ourselves from pursuing tasks to instead focus on people? I think this comes from giving up our refrigerator rights. 
Refrigerator rights are given to the people who can come into our home and open our fridge to eat and drink whatever they want without having to ask and without us thinking otherwise. And here's the sad reality most of us live in. We've given no one outside our immediate family refrigerator rights. Refrigerator rights aren't given to people through a short five-minute conversation. These rights are fostered through sharing time and space with people. It's a mindset that people who spend time with you know that you care about them enough to let them have a piece of you. They're the people who are vulnerable with you about how life really is. People who have refrigerator rights from us have experienced a taste of the divine through our presence in their lives. Most of us have resigned ourselves to casual friendships that rarely go beyond the surface-level conversation. Some of us have done such a poor job of pursuing people that even having casual conversations would be a step in the right direction. But I wonder how our lives would be shaped differently if we had a goal to give refrigerator rights to even three people this year. What would we have to do in order to invite people into our lives, not for the sake of casual conversation, but to begin sharing life with them in a way that led to them becoming part of the family? I think if this open-handed sharing of life started to take place, we would be well on our way to living a richer and more significant life than we ever have lived before. So go ahead, he says, give up your refrigerator rights. It won't be easy, but you'll start to live the abundant life that God has designed for us. You know, for me, who, who is someone who is more task-focused and who is coming out of the busy holiday season, this was a great reminder. You know, sure, I've got lots of, of casual relationships, lots of people that, I, you know, as I walk down the hall, I'll say hi and we'll chat for a minute or two, uh, but who am I really giving a piece of my life to? Who am I being vulnerable with about what's really going on in my life? And whether you're like me, someone who's more task-oriented, or maybe you're someone who's more people-focused, but you spend your time jumping from one person to the next, God calls both of us to take our relationships deeper, to plunge down beneath the casual, below the surface level, to have some significant conversations about the health of our souls. All of us need to begin sharing life with people in a vulnerable, authentic way that leads to them becoming closer than a brother. You know, as Pastor Tyler said in his blog, it's not easy, but it's certainly key to beginning to live the abundant life that God has designed for us to live. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about this second C in our vision statement, connecting to God's family in that kind of way. Not just being around people or being near people, uh, but doing life, sharing life with other people, forging a deep relationship with them uh, on the bedrock of authenticity. So if you want a connection with a member of God's family that's going to change your life, it first uh, needs to be a connection characterized by mutual authenticity. But there's more though. Point two is that deep life-changing connections with God's family are also characterized by mutual care. Mutual care. Mutual authenticity sets the foundation. You know, having deeper conversations with someone and, and giving someone else permission to speak freely into your life is a great start. Uh, but mutual care and support take it a step further. You know, while mutual authenticity breeds emotional support, mutual care breeds physical support, tangible and practical support that can make a huge difference in someone's life. 
Ecclesiastes 4 talks a, a little bit about the logic behind this. This is what it says. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You know, this passage illustrates the principle uh, that the quality of our friendships uh, always surfaces in a crisis. You know, when, when, we're, when we find ourselves stuck and literally the only way out is through the help of someone else. You know, in this passage, God describes it uh, as almost pitiable to be in trouble and to not have someone there to help. It's almost like he's implying that when you invest in a relationship now, that when trouble comes, and we know trouble will come, that we will have a support system in place. There's a great example of this in the Bible, and most of you are probably familiar uh, with the story of David and Jonathan, but I want to summarize it for you because I think it speaks well to what we're talking about. So the story of of David kind of starts with him as a teenager uh, running to the front of the Israelite army where all of these grown men in armor were cowering uh, to battle this giant named Goliath. Goliath was like an Andre the Giant sized dude. Actually, he was even bigger than that. Uh, And David defeats him with just a sling and a stone. And as you can imagine, David's popularity begins to rise. And he ends up living in the palace, serving Jonathan's dad. Jonathan's dad was named Saul, and he was the king. David and Jonathan, uh, over time, became great friends. And the Bible actually says this about their relationship in 1 Samuel 18. David became one in spirit uh, with Jonathan, and Jonathan loved David as himself. So, So Jonathan made a covenant with David, a pact essentially, saying that he had David's back no matter what. And this pact would be tested because as David became more successful, Jonathan's dad started to become jealous of David, fearing that David would become more powerful than himself. And so Saul ends up coming up with this plan to try to kill David. And as you can imagine, this put Jonathan in a bit of a sticky situation. David was fearing for his life and he told Jonathan that he was afraid that his dad was going to kill him. And Jonathan wanted to give his friend the benefit of the doubt, but he hadn't seen any visual proof of this yet. So David come, came up with a plan uh, to either prove to Jonathan that A, Saul did want to kill him, or that B, maybe David was wrong, he had nothing to worry about. So here was the plan. David was going to skip dinner one night when he was expected to be there, and then when Saul asked Jonathan why David wasn't there, Jonathan would give a false excuse, and they would judge Saul's intentions by his response. So if his response was calm, they had nothing to fear. But if his response was harsh, if it was full of anger, then it was true, David needed to fear for his life. So dinner time comes one day, and dinner time passes, and Saul doesn't even notice that David's not there. And you can imagine Jonathan kind of sweating it like, do we need to come up with a new plan or something? But the next day, David doesn't show up again, and all of a sudden Saul realizes it and asks Jonathan, hey, where's David? So Jonathan shares the false excuse, and then here is how Saul responds. He says, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, which isn't he talking about? Anyways, It's clear that you have sided with David to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you. As long as David lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Okay, pretty clear response, right? 
Well, so Jonathan actually protests Saul's plans, and then Saul throws a spear at Jonathan, which is kind of crazy on a few levels when you think about it. First of all, that's his son he just threw a spear at. Second of all, who keeps a spear right by the dinner table? That seems a little strange to me. Anyways, in any event, Jonathan gets out of there, and the next day he finds David and tells him, his worries are true. As much as he didn't want to, uh, Jonathan sends David away. He gives up his relationship with his best friend so that David can stay safe. And the story ends with Jonathan saying, go in peace for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. And it's kind of an intense story, uh, but had David not developed this relationship with Jonathan, he would not have had anyone protecting him. But in a very tangible way, Jonathan shows practical care for David, putting his neck on the line for him, risking danger in his relationship with his own father. You know, like our first scripture verse said today, David had truly found a friend that stuck closer than a brother. And each of us needs a Jonathan. We need someone who's going to look out for us, who's going to help provide care for us when we need it. But I think each of us also needs to be a Jonathan to someone else. We need to be a person that's ready uh, to step up to the plate and to provide uh, the care and practical support that a friend needs. That speaks to, to the mutual nature of care in a relationship. And our motivation for this is found in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, where Paul essentially says that God has cared for us so that we can care for others. This is what it says. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Because of how God has cared for us and supported us, uh, this verse says we can pay it forward. We can pass that care on to another person. And here at Daybreak, we have an amazing care ministry. Honor than, honestly, better than, than most that I've heard about at any other church. And, and it's important for our care ministry to be able to provide uh, the macro level of care that they do and to, to be able to coordinate care for our church family. But even though they provide such a, a great high-level care, any leader in our care ministry will tell you this. They'll tell you that at Daybreak, care happens best in the context of relationship. And that's just one reason why it's so important uh, to be connected here at Daybreak, to find a small group that you can do life with, because our groups help to create and to carry out uh, this culture of care. And I want to tell you a little bit more about small groups in just a minute, uh, but first I want to show you an example of how care happens in the context of a group. Uh, the video that you're about to watch is a few years old now, uh, but it was just too good not to show you this morning. Uh, this is the story of Dan and Lara Williams and how their group proved to be a huge support to them uh, during a trying season in their life. Watch this video with me. We got to Uh, Dan Williams. Um, my name is Laura Williams. I've been in a small group for uh, long uh, a year. And about a year. About a year. Yeah. Our journey began um, when Dan had a lump on his neck examined by our, um, his doctor. We found out a few weeks later or so that um, after the biopsy that he had Hodgkin's lymphoma, 
which is a type of cancer. So that sort of opened up a whole new world for us, um, a new word <laughs> that we weren't used to hearing in our household. And um, that's kind of where our story of uh, this trial began. Uh, probably first it was initially uh, scared, you know, shocked a little bit. Uh, I don't know, went through the range of emotions. Um, you know, there were tears and you know, there were times that we, a little, we have two little ones, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, so every now and then I would look down the road and you know, think, you know, what if, you know, what if this, what if that. I was scared because I wasn't sure like how much caregiving I would have to do and I wanted to be a good, encouraging wife, but I also was scared myself and didn't want to let the fears and emotions that I was having affect Dan and bring him down, although I needed to process my own um, grieving in a way of just this loss of like health that, you know, you think everything's okay, but now you have to deal with, um, you know, chemotherapy and <laughs> big words like that, that just at our time right now we weren't really anticipating having to, to do. In the beginning, uh, when Dan first got the diagnosis, um, obviously we provided a lot of support just on the phone with Laura. She was trying to work through the initial emotional piece of things and I guess it was about a week um, before he actually started treatments, he had to go back for a lot of last minute tests. So. Um, a lot of people in our group kind of stepped up and took the kids um, so that Laura could be working. And we also, as a group, um, definitely took turns in the beginning of providing some meals, just showing up, dropping off things um, at their house so that, um, especially when he was first going through treatment um, and Laura was kind of trying to figure out how to take care of the kids when he wasn't feeling well, um, we provided the meals and, and that kind of thing for them. Our group was just amazing in just um, the, the prayers we received. Um, sometimes when Dan would get home from chemotherapy, he would just be so tired and sick and upstairs, and I just felt helpless, like, well, he's just up there sick, but I have two kids, and people would just come and sit with me and spend time with me, and um, actually his first chemotherapy treatment, um, one of our small group members went and sat with him because I was unavailable. That just means so much because I knew that um, Dan had support and um, they just really took care of us and put their arms around us in a lot of practical ways. Dan's first chemo session, uh, Laura was unable to stay for the whole time and it was really important uh, to her and to Dan that there would be somebody there with him to uh, support him along the way. So they asked me to come, which I honestly considered an honor to, to be able to come alongside him in that uh, on that day. It was about two hours long, but it was, uh, just again another great time to be there for each other in an atmosphere that was made possible through a small group. Having a small group uh, has meant so much to us in this uh, this journey. Almost like an extended family um, in a way like other brothers and sisters that you, that you don't have. We really feel blessed that we have this group and um, I don't know, I just would encourage people, um, if you're in a group, to not let those, oh, I think I should do that, pass you by and take the opportunities because it really means a lot to the people on the receiving end. If you're not in a group, then 
you know, maybe you have some support networks, but um, there's really nothing like the close-knit support that you get from from your group. They're great. I love that story because I think not only does it highlight uh, the amazing care that was given uh, by Dan and Laura's home group, uh, but it also shows that Dan and Laura needed at, at times to humble themselves in order to receive that care. You know, let's face it, I think lots of us are, are proud people, and for whatever reason, we equate uh, needing help or needing care uh, with shame. And so maybe God wants to teach us that it's just as normal for us to receive care as it is to give it. That it's important to not let pride get in the way of receiving the care that we may need in order uh, to be able to move forward. And all of us go through seasons of life where we just need to allow others to care for us. And throughout our lives, God puts opportunities in front of us to be the ones uh, to care for someone else. And the beauty of small groups at daybreak is that they help to create the environment for this type of care to take place. As you walked in today, you should have received a, a small group opportunities brochure uh, that looks something like this with your program guide. And the brochure gives you an overview about all of the different types of groups uh, that are offered here for this next season at Daybreak. Uh, they're summarized into three categories, which, which help you to identify where you're at and then also maybe what your next step in group life might be. You know, if you're someone that uh, has recently or is currently experiencing a lot of hurt, then maybe uh, you might want to check out one of our groups for healing. Uh, if you're someone who's new to faith or daybreak, or maybe you need a new perspective on a life skill like managing your money or relating well to your spouse, then maybe you might want to check out one of our groups for discovering. If you're someone who is... Uh, seeking spiritual maturity, someone who's been following Jesus for a long time but is kind of ready to, to dive deeper, uh, then maybe you need to check out one of our groups for maturing. Uh, but this brochure is your guide. It's your roadmap to getting connected. You know, some of you in this room uh, have been coming here for a little while now, maybe a few months, a few years, uh, but you haven't taken that step uh, of getting connected, of connecting to our family on a deeper level than just here on a Sunday morning. You don't yet have a friend uh, that would stick closer than a brother, someone to be real with you, uh, and someone that you can call on in times of help. And I challenge you, maybe this is your season. Maybe this is your season to, to pick a group, to get connected. You know, most of our groups are only about 9 to 13 weeks at a time, so it's not a lifelong commitment that you're making. It's long enough to, to whet your appetite and to help you to begin to develop relationships like we've been talking about this morning. And then once you become comfortable uh, with the idea of a group, once you get your feet wet, uh, then you can jump into a longer-term group like one of our home groups. Some of you may be ready to do that today. Maybe others of you who are in this room uh, have been in a group before, uh, but you haven't had a great experience. And if that's the case, uh, I'm sorry about that. You know, as much as I wish that we were all perfect people and that all of our groups were perfect, uh, we all know that that's just not the case. Uh, but even though we're not perfect, I think we are pretty real. And if you're one of those people that has been tainted maybe by a bad group experience, I want to challenge you to think about it this way. 
You know, how many of you have ever had a bad haircut? Probably all of us, right? How many people have had a a bad experience at a doctor's office? Again, probably most of us. You know, does that mean that we never went back to get another haircut or that we never scheduled another doctor's appointment? You know, of course not. That doesn't make any sense. It means that we found another hairstylist. We found another doctor's office to go to. And it's the same way with a group. You know, if you had a bad experience with one group, I want to encourage you to not let that hold you back uh, from, from finding another group that might be a better fit for you. You know, the group you choose isn't as important as just getting connected, taking that step. And I want to speak to one more audience before I wrap up, and, and that's the people who maybe are in a group, but who haven't given away those refrigerator rights yet. You know, you're, you've been in a group, but maybe you haven't helped to create that culture of care yet. And I want to encourage you to be the change that God desires to make in your group. You know, be the one that initiates a deeper, more authentic relationship with someone else in your group. Be the one that sees a need among someone you care about and then meets it in love. Wherever you are, I challenge you today, I challenge all of us to move past the world of superficiality and and shallow relationships and to dive deep into life-changing relationships characterized by mutual authenticity and mutual care. You know, let's show the world what healthy Christians look like by getting into and then living out healthy relationships. And then let's watch as God changes us as we learn to give ourselves away relationally. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for uh, the beauty, for the precious gift of deep relationships. And for those of us that have them, I pray that we would treasure them. I pray that we would, we would tend to them, that we would put forth the effort that it takes uh, to carry them out, even when times get tough and when disagreements uh, may appear. And for those of us that have been challenged uh, or convicted today, I pray that we would act on what you've spoken to us, that you would help us to live authentically, that you would give us the courage to invite others to have refrigerator rights in our life. And on the flip side, give us also the courage uh, to speak truth in love to those that we care about when we've been given permission to do so. Help us also to live compassionately, Give us the heart and the initiative to step up to the plate and to care for friends who find themselves in a season of need. On the flip side, give us the humility at times uh, to admit when we are the ones that need help and help us to accept that care graciously. God, thank you for everything that your word says about healthy relationships. We love you and our desire is to honor you and to obey your word. So thanks for speaking to us today and thanks for loving us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Well, I wanna give us an opportunity uh, to respond today. If you would pull out this white response card from your program guide and just take the next minute or two uh, to process and to record what it is that God spoke to you today. You know, maybe he spoke to you uh, about authenticity. Maybe he spoke to you about care. Uh, maybe, maybe he told you, this is your time uh, to get connected to this church family through a small group. And for most of those groups, you can register on your response card today. There's a few that you need to uh, go out to Ministry Central to sign up for. Uh, but either way, I'd encourage you, maybe you just need to take a minute or two during this response time, flip through this brochure, and figure out what group is your next step. How are you going to get connected? 
If you have a prayer request this morning, uh, please feel free to write that on the back of the card. And if you're someone this morning that could just uh, use some time to, to, to talk to someone else and to have them pray over you, uh, our prayer partners are waiting back in the prayer room, back in the green room, uh, to meet with you and, and to, to provide that service for you this morning. So take a minute to respond, and then once you have, uh, we'd invite you to join our worship team as they sing this next song of obedience. this with us please the gifts you've given me I use in your name you have a plan for me every day you put your heart in me to light the way and when I cannot see I move by faith
more song. Introduce this song as a new song for Daybreak during first service this morning. and The congregation sang it louder than I did, so you guys must be listening to Christian Radio. This is called 10,000 Reasons. His holy name Sing like never before Oh my soul Worship your holy name The sun comes up It's a new day dawn it's time to sing the song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, worship Your holy name. You're rich in love and you're slow to. Goodness, I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. 
today we want to say thanks for being here with us if you could take that response card you filled out out to guest central which is just to your left as you exit the doors there we have a little gift bag there for you um, some information about who we are as a church family we'd love to be able to give to you today also don't forget to stop at ministry central today to check out the opportunities that you will see up there on the screen in just a second um, there's a bunch of opportunities out at ministry central today and if you're a member a regular attender you can take your response card as well as your tithes and offerings drop them in the white boxes on the way out the door today thanks so much for coming hope you have a fantastic afternoon <laughs> <laughs> 